This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great big good morning, and, and so glad you folks are here as, as we look at, you know, Christmas again. And, and as I said when we started this series, it's interesting that this is a story we come back to every year. And, and it's a story we come back to every year, I think, because there's, there's something in us that, that wants to come back and recognize, like, recognize that part of, that is within us that, that just so cherishes, you know, a vulnerable love alive and at work in our lives, which is God, you know, that wants to feel that again, that, that goes through all the different worries and concerns of life, and yet we want to return and we want to touch that again and again and again. I mean, even I was, I was talking with, with one couple, you know, their favorite ornament. Their favorite ornament was their little son, Lucas, did a handprint ornament. Now, that will be their all-time favorite ornament ever. You know, and every year when they pull that out, it'll be just this reminder, again, like reminder of a vulnerable love, alive and at work in their lives. Even when he's 16 years old, it'll still be there. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, kind of that, that taking that next step of that vulnerable love and, and looking at the times that are, that are challenging. You know, New Church Live, we say it all the time. You know, life always, always, always shares three things. And I know we have some first-time people here in the audience, and we have some first-time people watching us online. Life, we say again and again, is always three things. Blessed, broken, and shared. And the Christmas story has all three of those. You know, it's a story that happens mostly at night, you know, and that's very symbolic. And, and from a new church perspective, we, we read the Bible very poetically. You know, we're not so worried about literally, we're worried far more about poetically. Like, what's the deeper message in this? And we're going to be talking about a deeper message here. And it comes down to a certain kind of trust, like trust that there are greater possibilities within and between us. You know, can we touch some of those greater possibilities in the, in the journey that will take us there? So, are you ready to hear about a journey? Yeah. Yes. So, I'm going to tell you about the wise men today. And it's a beautiful part of the story. For those of you who don't know, it's a famous part of the, of the Christian narrative. And it's a story of, of three wise men who bring three gifts. And, and they bring three gifts, and Jesus is born, and they're, they're traveling to give him these, these gifts. It's interesting and beautiful. Again, I, I think the way that this story starts, it starts with a first journey here for them. And it's a journey where they just look up in the night sky. They look up in the night sky and they see a star. Beautiful parts there. A part where they take the time to look up in the sky and they take the time to notice. And the time then to understand that that noticing actually is a call to move. It's a call, just this small little star. It's just this call to move in their lives. And that's where we pick this up with Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod. Now, King Herod here, for those of you who don't know, we're going to talk about him a lot. He's the bad guy. All right? He's the bad guy in this story. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod, Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the church, for the child as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to destroy him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. and They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts and treasures, presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there's a fascinating part of the story here, right? So, so they see a star and they travel. And then we see this line here. They came to Jerusalem. It's, but that's not where Jesus was born. So it's a story about these people who saw a star, felt a promise, started moving. But then they lost track of that star. They couldn't see it anymore. Have we ever lost track of our stuff? <laughs> and so they go to Herod, who was, who was this centerpiece of power at that time, and they think that Herod's the one who's going to be able to give them the answer. Now, that also tells you something about the wise men, that they could get an audience with a king and ask him about this star. And, and Herod had never seen the star, didn't know anything about it, knew that there was a prophecy that, that would be a sign. But Herod had never seen the star. And again, don't, don't externalize Herod and think like there are those people who never see the star. See that in ourselves, you know, that part of us that has a really hard time seeing. And there's also that part of us that so badly wants to see, but just can't for whatever moment that is and is searching for help, is searching for guidance. Now, here is a completely geeky question, and I, I have shared this with a number of you because I just love it. I, for those of you, this is your first time. I love simple little wordplay. The word for when you lose track of your stars in the English language is what? Anybody know? The word is disaster. Isn't that good? Like, think, disaster, aster star. When you lose track of your stars, disaster. And you think about how significant that was, folks. These were, this was in the day before GPS. You know, where the North Star was, that's how you navigated. And if you lost track of the stars, if you lost track of how the celestial bodies, notice that word, isn't that good or what? How the celestial bodies moved. If you lost track of that, it was going to be really hard to navigate. And that is definitely a time of darkness and challenge. Now, I want us to understand this, not just theologically, but I want, it, I want us to understand it deeply, deeply in our lives. So we are very, very fortunate to have our dear friend Martha Pitcairn, who's going to be joining me up on stage right now. And we're going to talk through, yeah, how does this darkness kind of show up in the holidays, and, and what can it mean for us, and, and how do we hold the darkness? Not as, not as a catastrophe, not everybody has a catastrophe at Christmas, you know, but I think a lot of us experience times of darkness, some of them very severe, some of them not so severe. We know people who are going through it, so it's important for us to have this conversation. So please, join me in warmly welcoming Martha to the stage.
great to see you, Martha. You know what? I totally forgot your mark. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be switching it around. So you want to say hi to people? Hi, everybody. I can't see you. It's really disorienting. <laughs> I'm losing my star. Welcome to my world. <laughs> so, so Mark, like we've been, you and I have been going back and forth a bit on like, like darkness and, and, and how do we hold it during the holidays, knowing that it's something that maybe we have, something other people have. It's, it's all over the place. And you know, I wanted you to get a chance to share with us and just run us through a little experience. We can all kind of touch that piece. Great. Um, it's my pleasure to be here with you. I personally have been studying my own darkness the last few months. And I asked God this morning, why would you have me speak to this? <laughs> And he laughed and said, why wouldn't I? <laughs> so I humbly bring my experience, strength, and hope to this conversation. Um, I think darkness in general has a bad rap. Um, it's over half of our 24 hours every day. So it must be a teacher at some level. Um, I deeply feel like the darkness in me and those I work with and those I witness is really the biggest teacher and the place where light actually is born. And I am just awed to think that the womb is one of the darkest places. And today we're going to finish with a baptism. And that baby was born and conceived and grew in a womb. And that's pretty powerful. It's not all bad, is it? So... I just keep wondering, what is the invitation when we experience darkness? Traditionally, we think about darkness as perhaps evil. Sometimes darkness is real depression that needs treatment. And yet, in the Christmas story, it's leading to a really vulnerable love, right? There's a little boy being baptized at the end of this that is a vulnerable love. And that is a pretty powerful and potent metaphor for each of us to be called into. That something in my darkness of the last few months is growing some part of me that I have yet to meet. I've yet to meet her. And she's coming. And do I feel trepidation? Yes. A lot of trepidation. Because I feel out of control. I don't know these parts of me. 
Do I feel embarrassed and fearful? Yes. My old tricks don't work this round in this night time. Has anyone found that some of their old toolkit doesn't meet a certain darkness that they may have touched this year or in themselves? I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, making a list of ten gratitudes isn't doing it this time. <laughs> That's not to say that isn't a value. Right. right. So. What about Christmas cookies, though, Martha? Does it? <laughs> yeah, Christmas cookies. <laughs> My dad bought slice and bake. Oh, all right. So one time I went to a cookie exchange and took the recipe for buying slice and bake. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, so what else are we talking well, about? I wanted you to run us, run us through just so we get a chance to like, like experience that. Just, just run us through a 30 okay. second exercise with that so we get a chance to just be in that, in that place for a minute. Great. So I'm going to invite us, um, I'm going to invite each of you to, um, consider Perhaps a darkness that you are touching presently in yourself or in your life or something that you've touched in the last six months. And I'm going to ask you to hold what is the invitation from the divine to a part of yourself through the dark night that might be in that darkness? What is the invitation for new life, a new part of your spark? So let's lower the lights, and we're just going to have, I encourage you to just come in contact with your breath. And Stephen, if you would lower the lights, we'll just be still for a 30 seconds or a minute. Gently open your eyes and let them alight on the candles at the front of the room. And notice that is there a small hope of something that is being born in you out of that darkness? For me, I keep having a whisper that there is a new level of surrender to the divine's plan in my life and trusting it at a level I never have. 
and what a gateway that that darkness would be to my more freedom, more freedom, that the darkness actually is giving way to more light and more freedom in me. It's a profound baby being born. I wouldn't want to get rid of her. So I think that's what I have. What do you think? Anything else? Or I don't know, that's pretty darn good. You know, I, I was thinking the, um, just for all of us, just you and I talked about this word preciousness, right? And it's just about like breathing into this place, this preciousness. And we do all lose track of our stars. And yet the preciousness we get to touch again and again and again. And maybe just more like you could just share with, with us just, just where's a story for you? Can I be completely Martha here for a second? Yes. All right, take a breath. I have to teach Chuck that when he says breathe, you actually have to wait to breathe. All right. All right. So I'm going to ask him to try. All right. Let's all of us take a breath. That's so good. And could you just speak for a second, like, the preciousness that you've maybe seen, just this little piece or this little spark, you know, that you've seen maybe in other people or you've seen with someone you've worked with or you've seen in, in yourself? Yes. I um, I have keep noticing that whatever is getting, um, whatever invitation in me, that keeps getting offered, that I personally have noticed I need a deeper level of support than I've had before. So in the last week, I actually asked three friends if I could set up times. And then I got embarrassed. And I was like, oh, never mind. (laughs) Does anybody do the oh, never mind with themselves? Anyway, and this morning, one of those friends texted me and said, I have time. And it was right before this. And I was like, oh, timing's not that great. And then I said, yes, Martha. This is part of the star. And that is when I got that, of course, God would want somebody who was knowing darkness intimately to speak about darkness. And I got a smile from the divine. And it was profound. It was like... Oh, yeah, you're the one. Go ahead, talk about it. Um, So that feels huge. This week, I just had many opportunities. So many people experience some level of Christmas blues that nobody gets to talk about. And I got to say, of course we all have Christmas blues. And to just watch... 
the lost part of those people melt with, of course, my precious. Of course. The Christmas story is a lot about darkness. And there's nothing wrong. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That the darkness is holy. And that's what I want to leave with you today. Is don't get mixed up. It sometimes scares us. Sometimes terrifies us that we don't have what it takes. And we don't. But it's holy. Have faith that the darkness is an invitation to your divinity. You're not off track. Because of darkness doesn't mean you've lost your way. It might be where the revelation is going to happen. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. I got nothing to say. I, I do have to say, I love the idea that you have three friends and we're ta- bringing gifts, and we have three wise men bringing gifts for Christmas. <laughs> so that's Martha, can't thank you enough. Folks, please thank Martha. <laughs> now, as, as the band comes out, just, I mean, that's just beautiful, right? And, and, and that, you know, Martha's words are so profound, I can't add anything to them. That idea of, of welcoming the darkness as, as a way of, of preciousness and the, in the way of something being born, I, I think we know that's how life works. And I think we can settle into that place and just, just feel the call. Feel the call of being faithful. Faithful not as a belief system, but the call to be faithful. Faith is the eye of love, as we say often here. Faith that there's a bigger story unfolding for us. And just a simple faith here. That God holds it. A tender and vulnerable love. Alive. At work. And growing in our lives. You know, this, this journey, folks, this journey of seeing the light, like it, it is part of us understanding that that this journey, it's, it's not a perfect journey. It just isn't. And I was thinking yesterday, like, you have to keep coming back to God keeps on saying again and again, you know, what he created. He says it's good, very good. He never uses the word perfect. Good, very good. Never the word perfect. Can I tell you a silly story about myself? You know, like, because again, like, one of the big things I want people to see as a pastor, like, Dorothy Day had this quote. I love this quote. She said, don't call me a saint. I don't want to be dismissed that easily. And, and it's, it's the basic idea that, that even those of us who are professional religious people or people who are trying, like, like all of us are, to do our spiritual lives, we're constantly dropping the ball and that that's okay. And it's about learning. You know, I, I was invited out to a, to a beautiful dinner uh, with a couple who, with a, with a, it wasn't the full couple was there, but, but he's a good friend of mine, went out to dinner. And, you know, I got lost down in Philadelphia. Now, I am sure Philadelphia is going to swallow me whole. I'm a country boy. I'm not meant to ever drive in a city. And I couldn't remember, like, Philadelphia, the name streets go this way and the numbered streets go that way. I totally forgot, like, wait, which, 
which, which way does it go? Got totally turned around, totally lost. And, and as I'm lost, this, this woman comes up to me urgently, obviously somebody struggling, obviously I'm, I'm assuming homeless, and is like, sir, sir could you, you have some money for something to eat? And I was just like, literally, I just put my hand up. Welcome to Herod. <laughs> see, I, I couldn't see it at that moment. I could see it later on, but I, but I couldn't see it at that moment. That's that Herod piece. That Herod piece of me that's worried, anxious, is sure that I show, if I show up five minutes late for dinner, that there's somehow there's going to be an issue. And there's not. I'd forgotten. As Greg Boyle said, the people are never an interruption. The people are never an interruption. Now, it's about learning from those experiences. And I, and I think of, of this story this why, of these three wise men. Again, when we think of it poetically, they go to Jerusalem. Herod really can't help him out a whole lot. He's got some helpers who can help him out, but he really can't help him. He can't see the star. But he, but he can get an, but they can get an idea of, of where to look next. And then there's this beautiful line. We're talking about a second journey here. And their second journey, they've made it to Jerusalem. And then the second journey is when this happens. When they saw the star, I'm going to have you say the O word there with overjoyedness. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And, and I was looking it up, and they, and, and, you know, when you look at the actual Greek, it says they rejoiced joyfully. You know, this was, this was such good news that they finally saw the star again. That's that second journey. Of course, we lose track. We think it's pointing it this way. And then over time, we come to see the star reappeared, and, it's, and it just leads us to be completely overjoyed. New Church says, is that little journey from Jerusalem to this little outpost of Bethlehem, this little tiny cow town, this little tiny town that had nothing to compare with Jerusalem, that little journey, that nine-mile journey, that turning north where they thought it was this, and then they went there, that that is when we start to feel our life being resurrected. We start to feel life in new ways. In ways that are incredibly beautiful. So they go, they present their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then the story goes on and says they're warned in a dream that if they went back to Herod, because Herod had said, come back to me and tell me where they are so I could worship the child. Really, he was saying, so I can destroy the child. And they knew that they couldn't go back to that dark place. Does that ring true? <laughs> you know, a certain place, we just, we just can't go back. Life has changed. We've seen something. Once we've seen it, it's almost impossible to unsee it. And I mean that in a positive way. Once we've seen it, it's almost impossible to unsee it. And so what did they do? They did this, which I love, the third journey here. They went home. Say the W word there for me. They went home by another way. They couldn't return by the same steps. Do you see how good that is? Life just has shifted, and we can't go home the same way. We, we go home a different way, T.S. Eliot. 
when we turn home for the first, if we turn home and know it for the first time because we've come at it from a different way. We've recaptured that idea of a star. I want to share with you a couple examples of this, and this is where I'm going to cue the child's family to go get their cute little boy, because we're going to close this with a baptism. One of the books I've really enjoyed reading over the, over the holiday season is a book called Unfollow. It's a book by a woman by the name of Megan Phelps Roper. And some of you have heard me talk about her before. She's a fascinating person. Megan is a... Uh, she belonged to the Westboro Baptist Church. And the Westboro Baptist Church, not a church you want to belong to. That's the only church I will say that unequivocally. This is, this is a church that gives, gives the idea of meanness to religion a whole new connotation. I mean, just horrible stuff. Uh, they're the ones who are protesting soldiers' funerals, saying that that was payment because the United States allowed homosexuality to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And she eventually saw something different. And I think about her with this story. I think, you know, over time, she had this beautiful experience of people just constantly in very lovingly ways sort of calling her on it, saying there's a different way to see the world than, than from that way of hatred. There's a different way to use faith versus just proving yourself right. And over time, that star kind of got her shifted into a different place. And in her book, she has this, this beautiful turning moment. And I love this moment. I'm going to share this, this note with you here. So this is a note. We're going to read through it. This is a note from somebody called Chad. Uh, Chad was a, was a homosexual gay member of a congregation uh, out on the West Coast. And, and him and Megan had been going at it for years, but he wasn't really going at it. He just kept on reminding her that there's, there's a bigger lesson of love that we need to be constantly going towards, constantly moving towards. And so she finally came out of, of herself and said, like, hey, you know, and put on Twitter, like, hey, I realized I've been wrong. I'm so sorry. Now, you would think somebody like Chad, what, what would be the typical human reaction of Chad? What should he have said? How about told you so, you know? Or, or he could have said any number of things. But she put his text back in this beautiful line, Megan, it would be a great honor of my church, my people, to have you as a guest. We just want you to come and breathe and feel what a community trying to make the world a better place should be. We feel a special bond to you after all your tweeting over the years. Chad. A beautiful line, but, but you can see, folks, like, like how her journey started to shift because she saw these stars. And there were these angels who kept on pointing the way. Sometimes the angels who point the way are really small, like this next picture. Really tiny and precious. But it reminds us that even in the darkness, that vulnerable love is alive and at work in our lives and is seeking to be born again in your life. Just sit with that for a second. Is seeking to be born again in your life. And actually is being born again in your life. So we learn to keep following the star. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.